Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Tuesday, talking some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist at uscfootball.com. We have a lot of questions, but if you would like to send in some more, we love it too, podcast at uscfootball.com, or you can call us or text us. The number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Four one. If you want to send a little text from your phone, hey Dan, hey Ryan, hey Coach Hyde, hey Gerard, we got a question for you. Just text it to us. Let us know. Next time we come on the podcast, we'll make sure to read it and do our best to answer it. You can also subscribe all the different platforms. If you're on iTunes, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. That's the easiest way to get to us. We have our own URL on iTunes, but we're on Audio Boom and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and uh, all of those. So go check it out. Uh, Google Play. Um, so anyway, you want to download the podcast, you should be able to find it, Peristyle Podcast. Search for that. It's a pretty unique name, and you should be able to find it. All right. Well, we're going to talk to Dan Weber. We were out the uh, USC at a summer workout this morning, and I got to witness Sam Darnold carrying the water to the rest of his teammates. I don't know what that kid can't do. Uh, but what's up, Dan? How you doing? Yeah, I think that's a big part of, you know, his ability to, to lead this team because he doesn't put on any kind of airs it's just about you know what do we got to do let's get it done come on and uh, uh not that kind of ego at all you know where you know look at who i am or look whatever it's all about you know getting the job done and uh, and the kids notice it's obvious they pay attention to that but uh he, you know he is uh pretty amazing uh the way he's come back and he's had you know big summer and still you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't. You wouldn't have any idea. You know that he's he's anybody else. Uh, you know, other than you know the Sam. Although he's been so good since he's got here. I mean, since the first day he walked in in summer, uh, he's just been a special you know special talent. And uh, he does stuff every day that you think uh, uh, you're probably glad that he's on USC's side if you're a USC fan. Through a beautiful. 40-yard uh, bomb to Josh, the modern baby, today that had a whole lot of, of of trajectory and arc on it that, you know, where he's trying to put air under the ball and let your wide receiver run under it. And that's something that is real obvious that he's doing this summer. It's one of the things he said he really wanted to work on. And uh, when, you get, when you see him... Uh, He's uh, changed that angle of release on the deep on the deep ball, and um, if he starts, and he's throwing them right on the money. So if he's able uh, to do that, he's going to be uh, pretty dangerous. Yeah, certainly he is. And I'd, I'd rather, you know, it was cool to see him. I tweeted out a picture of him, you know, wheeling over the water jug to the teammates. But I'd rather see someone else do that. I don't need to see him start <laughs> doing that. I mean, it's nice, it's cool. He's a team player, but. Someone else step in. You know, you're a walk-on wide receiver. You go, hey, Sam, no, I'll get that. Something like that. 
Although I think that the point there is he sees something that needs to be done and he did, you know, let's get it done. And I think that gives him so much more ability in the huddle to be that guy who sees that thing that needs to be done and either does it or, or tells somebody to do it, one or the other. But he had a few plays off and said, what the heck, I can go ahead and do this. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah it was a great, great photo. Because nobody else around, he just went and went and grabbed it and rolled it back, you know, out there where, uh, where they could get to it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so before we jump into the show, I wanted to thank our sponsor, uh, Trader Joe's. So definitely, if you have not checked out Trader Joe's, you certainly should. They're all over the country. Uh, in August, it'll be 50 years in business. So next month, they are one month shy of 50 years in business. And that's also when, uh, University Village opens up. Um, the US, what do they call it? The USC Village, Dan? Is that what they, they're calling it? I think University Village. University Village. I think okay. U- University Village. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, there'll be a Trader Joe's in there. So they're going to have a big, uh, grand opening for that. And we'll, we'll try to be there for that and, uh, check it out. But it's, it's that time of the season. It's it's warm outside. It's kind of wine and cheese. So if you want to go, you're going to one of those concerts in the park or we have them at Hermosa Beach on the beach. I definitely recommend go pick up a bottle of wine. Uh, they got a lot of uh, excellent values, uh, different wines from all over the world and a ton of great cheeses that are uh, at great prices every day. So, you know, from cheddar to Gouda to triple creme brie, fresh mozzarella, they got everything over at Trader Joe's. We love going there for little picnics and stuff and, uh, uh, you know, buying stuff for, for snacks and of, of course for dinners, we always heat something up or buy, you know, cook something from Trader Joe's. So it's pretty fun. Um, it always tastes good and it's always reasonable. Everyone we talk to, cause there's a brand new one next to our house in Hermosa and, uh, all our neighbors go there. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. I know, I know you're a fan too, uh, Dan of Trader Joe's. No question about it. You know, you said it right. Wine and cheese. This is the perfect time of year for, <laughs> uh, you know, what, what they do so well is, uh, you go in there and you just start, you know, reading labels and, and, and it's, it's, it's fun. I mean, it's, uh, you don't even have to buy anything. Just go in there and, and browse and get some ideas. Yeah. Very cool. So definitely check out Trader Joe's. We'll have more information about that grand opening at University Village, uh, as that gets closer. Cause we're getting real close to that. We're almost, you know, we're halfway through July. So sometime during fall camp, that's all going to go down. So a lot of, a lot of construction projects, Dan, it should be ending around USC really soon. Maybe that building, you know, that neuroscience building next to the practice field that we have to keep kind of walking through the construction zone. Maybe that'll be done by then. Yeah, that's my hope. I count, I'm counting the bricks and they're, they're putting those <laughs> bricks in place in the sidewalks and they have you go, go in one direction one day and another direction another day. And it does look, there are a lot of guys there working today. So it does look like they may be under, uh, you know, some deadline to get this. Uh, I'm not sure they're, the deadline is uh, the start of football practice, but I'm guessing it's the uh, start of fall, you know, the fall semester. But, uh, but we could say, we could tell them, uh, we'd like to have this done by the uh, start of football practice. If you guys could uh, could do this, it helps get us uh, get us to practice quicker. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we're going to jump into a couple of questions, and I got another uh, little event that's coming up. I want to tell everybody about. Uh, but let's get to some of these questions first. We have Stephen Poway. He says, I know it's midsummer when all of USC Trojan fans' hearts start to palpitate at the thought of fall camp being right around the corner. But dare I say, this summer is a little bit different. Who knew that USC was poised to become a basketball powerhouse with so many great returners coming back this year? And don't look now. There are now two four-star and one five-star commits for the 2018 class. 
with rumors of another five-star player um, considering USC, Duke, and Kansas possibly coming in early to play this year. So the two questions are, uh, how did the USC basketball program going from being a lower mid-level recruiting program to elite almost overnight? And could this upcoming basketball season be even better than the football season? Move over, Clemson. Thanks, Stephen Poway. Yeah, I mean, I had talked about this early in the uh, summer, late spring, that USC already was the uh, uh, way, far and away the best preseason uh, program in football basketball. I think USC, if you you know uh, give them say an average of third in, in the preseason you know rankings, and you give the basketball team at that time like you know a ten, and that was you know they're they're I think they're you know no question about it and. Most people, the more they looked at it, said 10. And that was like, I think the next closest was Louisville with uh, 7th in basketball and 17th in football. So, yes, he was already the best combo uh, program in the country. But if they get this Bagley kid, you know, from Sierra Canyon, who is clearly the number one player in the country, and, and you know, his whether he's able to go early or not, you would think, Age-wise, and you know, amount of time he's been in high school, he, he he may have a chance to do that. But if he comes to USC, uh, I mean, there are people that cover basketball, national basketball guys, who say that puts USC as, as the number one team in preseason. Now, I know Arizona's really, really got a lot of guys that can play, but there are people who say that would move USC right. And I'm thinking, do USC fans even have any idea? What, what a world that would be like. Let's say the football, let's say you're in October, November. Football team's playing for a spot in the final four. And here comes the basketball team opening up at number one with all their games on television and all this. It's like, USC's never been in that situation before. You know, I mean, very few people are. I mean, it's almost, you pick out, you know, all the other great programs in the country. I mean, I guess the closest we saw was Florida, uh, maybe 10, 12 years ago, uh, or 10 years ago, I guess, would, would be the, the last time you saw, you know, a program like that. But, uh, uh, it, it would be fun. It would be interesting. And as some people were already speculating, if the Bagley kid comes to USC, USC might be the favorite to produce both the number one uh, uh, football draft pick, NFL pick, and the number one NBA pick. And that's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I mean, really, think about that. You think those people hated USC before? Oh, my goodness. And they opened University Village, and it's like, if I'm USC, I tell all the celebrities, stay away. We don't need you. We got back without you, and it just makes people hate us even more. Uh, the more celebrities that start showing up when when the program really gets going, but uh, it, uh, there will be people who would really, really be unhappy if uh, if USC puts together that kind of run and 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 those two sports because it, you know it's like there's got to be something wrong with that it's just not fair you know if you're sitting in starkville mississippi 
and saying, how do we compete with that? That's not fair. Uh, but you know and and how did that how did usc go from where they were how you stopped shooting yourself in the foot every single day i mean let's face it they hit a brand new brand new arena a mile and a half uh down the road from two nba franchises uh how do you screw that up in a great school with a campus that just keeps getting better and better in the middle of one of the coolest places, you know, a kid could go to college. I mean, you had to try to screw it up the way USC was screwing it up. And they did try, you know, and there's no question about it. I mean, the one, once they had, you know, Tim Floyd was in here, they were pretty good pretty quickly. And, uh, it's just, you can't be, you know, doing the things they were doing. But, uh, uh, you have to be, I mean, LA, I mean, for example, Bagley's the number one kid in the country. Who's the number two? Ball Ball, the modern day seven foot, whatever, you know, Manute Ball's son. Uh, there are basketball players on top of basketball players out here. There are so many basketball players in, uh, Southern California. It's ridiculous. And, uh, for, for USC not to have been able to, to, you know, benefit from that was just ridiculous. And now, all you got to do is, is do things right. They've got two great recruiters, and I think Andy's been really involved in uh, in the Bagley situation. And uh, uh, it, there's a lot of excitement, as there should be. I mean, they you know whether they get him or not, they still have the you know personnel to make a run at you know at the Final Four. I don't think there's any question. But uh, it's going to be fun, and it's going to be something people here are going to have to get used to. Uh, as to what do we, how do you handle October, November, and in December maybe? Yeah. Uh, when you've got a couple of different focuses, uh, it's and and LA might be the best place in the world if you're going good. If you're really got <laughs> it rolling, LA is the place to be because LA loves the winter and they love the big time and they love the big you know, spotlight. And if USC gets that, makes that happen, I, I know there will be people at USC who are standing, you know, would be in, you know, say a sold out gallon center saying, how's this happening? What's going on here? Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, think about it. It, it, it could be pretty neat. Let's, uh, let's jump to Jason down in Longhorn country. He said, thanks for the great work. I'd be interested to get Dan th- Dan's thoughts on Rojo's progression this uh, this year at SC. Do you think he's primed for a big season? Uh, how has he been looking in practice? Have his hands improved to the point where he can be an every down back, or do you think he will have to sit in key passing situations this year? We don't hear much about him due to most of the conversation covering Sam and the defense. I'm interested to get your thoughts on his situation going to his third and potentially last campaign with USC. Fight on, Jason and Longhorn Country. Uh, Jason, I think, okay, the thing I like, really like about him is he's 205 now, uh, kind of up from 195 last year, and I think he, he may look quicker. Uh, I think he's got that stop start, you know, cut the other way, kind of move down perfectly, but, but at this weight, 
uh, he's really got some force behind it. So uh, I think he he really uh, adds to his ability to to make quick cuts with power. Uh, I think Delane McCullough has just really done a good job on the fundamentals with the running backs and breaking everything down. And uh, I just think, you know, what they're doing is the kind of stuff that, that for Rojo, both the uh, pass protection and, the uh, you know, the the comfort level, the hands, uh, with the, uh, you know, swing passes and all the stuff they're going to do. I think the only thing that might not have him on the field all the time on third down is just the fact that they got a lot of backs that can catch the ball. And they got a lot of, a lot of threats and they got a lot of ways to get the ball to people in space, like to, to slot receivers crossing and, and, and reversing and stuff like that. They're going to do a lot of stuff, you know, to get the ball to people. But yeah, I don't think there's any reason this year that, you know, not to have not to have Rojo on the on the field on on third down. I just think they're you know they're gonna they're gonna give people I think defensively a, they're gonna try to give them more more things to defend than they really have enough people to defend. And uh, I don't think Ronald will be a liability um, you know with his uh, with his hands or his or his pass blocking because you don't want to get into that situation where if you take him out everybody knows. You're probably going to throw the ball, uh, so I think that's that's a real uh, point of emphasis for both Ronald, and he knows how important it is for his future, and uh, for USC because of you know they really want to be able to you know line up and make you guess what you know what's coming next. But but I I think uh, we saw enough in the spring that his explosiveness is it's it's better than we we had seen, uh, and. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, I'm looking for good things. I, I just think that I love that, you know, that the 205 pounds, that just looks exactly right for him. I thought 195 might be just a little bit for a guy that, you know, does run the ball well at the goal line, for example, and, and short yardage. I thought 195 probably wasn't quite big enough. I think 205 with uh, with an increase in, you know, speed and quickness, I think is, is really, was really good for Rojo. Uh, we got Hugo from West Covina. He says, my name is Hugo, longtime listener and fellow follower of the P. Uh, first, thanks for all the time and hard work you and your staff put in to keep us up to date on USC football news and recruiting. My question is for Dan. I recently rewatched Coach Clay Helton's uh, presser after signing day. One thing he mentioned throughout the presser was consistency. What is your opinion on Coach Helton and the athletic department investing and keeping coaches at USC and keeping the coaching consistency in place if the team and staff uh, have both a successful season and recruiting class. Thanks from Hugo. Well, it was good this year. I mean, I think, uh, and the best part of it was they kept everybody but uh, but uh, uh, Tommy Robinson and one of those kind of deals that he could hardly turn down and it wasn't necessarily one that when USC can match from LSU and, and Ed Orgeron. Uh, but for them to go out and get a Delan McCullough who just, you know, checks every box. He just, he's done everything. Uh, has a great personal story. Teacher, educator, coach, player, uh, NFL, college, uh, had been a, you know, big time program and, you know, Big Ten guy. 
before he came here, done some great recruiting. Uh, so, you know, if you're going to change the program, uh, that's the way to do it. Exactly. Now, if they have the kind of year that, you know, if you're a USC fan, you're hoping they're going to have. And I know Clay has talked to me about this this summer, that he just thinks every day they have T, uh, T. Martin is a blessing and a bonus. Uh, but you look around the country, I was talking to some people in the SEC, and they were asking me, do you think he'd come here? <laughs> and, you know, if, if, if we crash and burn uh, this year, would he come here? So I think the fact that he was always acknowledged as one of the, you know, top handful of recruiters ever since he's, you know, been at USC, and then to have the ability, you know, to be the offensive coordinator with a Sam Darnold and with the kind of spotlight that, you know, is going to be on USC and with the, you know, the demonstrated, you know, skill set that, that he has in terms of dealing with players, in terms of making recruiting decisions, in terms of, you know, actually recruiting. And then, you know, as the offensive coordinator, uh, I think, uh, I think it might be hard. I mean, it might be hard to keep keep T if uh, if things you know go you know as they as they might. There might be you know one or two others that you know down the road uh, would certainly be you know interested in, in being a head coach. I think one of the the blessings for the the program right now is that that I don't think that includes Clancy Pendergast. They just don't have any sense that that's uh, that's necessarily where he wants to go. Uh, I think you know where he is now is is kind of you know what he wants to do. So, but yeah, you're right. I think the consistency of staff. I think you could see it at places like uh, Florida State for Bobby Bowden when when all of his guys started getting head coaching jobs. It was much harder, you know, for him. To keep it going, Joe Paterno, kind of the same way you would see, or or at Nebraska, uh, at Alabama, you know, when when they they had trouble having uh, you know consistency uh, for a number of years, uh, they uh, it goes away fast, and um, so yeah, having the ability to keep keep these guys together because uh, it's kind of a young staff. And uh, they figured out, you know, a lot of things on the fly last year. And uh, to be able to keep that all going, which they seem to have done a pretty good job of building on that in the off season, I think it's it really important. So it won't be easy. I mean, I think there'll be some, you know, some job offers coming if if they have the kind of year that that you may not be able to fight all of them off. I, I just, you know, I think I think T will be the guy that. Uh, that they're going to come looking for. Um, yeah, before we jump into more questions, I want to, like, uh, there's an event coming up. Uh, it's here in Southern California. I will let people know about. So my friend Dan Michelle is, uh, on the board, uh, of a foundation called Your Grateful Nation. And it's, uh, you can find it at yourgratefulnation.org. Or if you want to give them a call, it's 310-717-46. I'm sorry, 6466. That's 310-717-64. Six six, and the event is coming up. Uh, it's in Manhattan Beach at the Manhattan Beach Country Club on Thursday, July twenty seventh. So that's actually the night of Pac twelve Media Days, a couple of days before 
um, the start of uh, fall camp at 6.30 p.m. So it's a dinner and um, speaking event, and the keynote speaker is Rob O'Neill, and he's the co-founder of Your Grateful Nation, uh, which my buddy Dan is on the board. And uh, it's an event where he's going to – so he's – if you don't know who he is, he's a former Navy SEAL Team 6 member. And they're basically going to go that night, and he's going to tell you about – how they got Bin Laden the night that he, so he was there uh, and the guy the shot Bin Laden basically so they're gonna go through uh, what happened that night so I guess he hasn't really he's a he does a lot of speaking tours but I guess this isn't something they haven't really gone into a lot of detail with I think things got cleared so it should be a really interesting event uh, I plan on going after media day so if you want to check it out but all the proceeds will go towards uh, helping special operation veterans transition from military careers to civilian career. So it's Rob O'Neill, uh, former Navy SEAL Team 6 member, and it's Your Grateful Nation. So they'll have all the information on their site, yourgratefulnation.org. So hope you can go check it out. Um, yeah, I've never heard him speak, Dan, but I've heard some really good things about him. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly seen him, you know, talk uh, uh, on, uh, I guess he's on Fox an awful lot. I don't know if he's a, officially a contributor or not. I don't know that he's ever gone into just like total detail about, uh, you know, I've heard, heard some of it, but, but, uh, not having, you know, heard, heard him speak about exactly all the, the, you know, the things that happened, which, uh, uh, be interesting to hear some of the stuff probably that he can't say on television. Uh, yeah, I would think. And, uh, <laughs> I think that would be, uh, that'd be really interesting. Yeah, well, go check it out. And uh, if you have any questions, you can email me, too. I can forward you all the, the information, too. Just podcast at uscfootball.com. But yourgratefulnation.org, you can check it out. Um, we got a quick one from Tarek, Dan. What can we expect from Rasheem Green in year three? Well, I think he's going to be he's gonna be quicker. He's going to be stronger. He's leaner. He's down to 275. Um uh, he looks a lot like uh, a little taller, maybe that uh, that uh, um, his mentor, uh, BKU, Kenichi Yudezi, his D line coach. I think got himself down to about 275 pounds when he was an All American. I think he, you know, started at almost 400 pounds his senior year in high school when they told him uh, Ed Orgeron told him if you lose, I don't know if it, what was the deal, 50 pounds or whatever. Uh, you know, we'll consider you for a scholarship. And, and, uh, so I think, uh, I think Rasheem, uh, the big difference that I saw is it was hard to, to get him to tell you what he was thinking and what he was doing, uh, his first couple of years. And now he sounds like, uh, you know, he's a veteran. He's a leader. He wants to talk about, you know, helping the younger kids and, uh, just stuff that he is kind of all grown up as i said yesterday and and, and the story about Rasheem, i just think he uh he can be a, somebody that's going to be difficult for some of those big big you know offensive linemen to block and i think you know it, it's one of those i don't think he was he was totally with the program his first year for sure uh he had been so dominant in high school and you just don't play against kids like you play against you know, when you're playing Alabama or Stanford. And I think he was a little resistant to some of the things and the demands and the, uh, the details of, of all the techniques and how you, how they want you to use your hands and what have you. And 
So it didn't get off to as good a start as I think a lot of people maybe thought it might. And then he really, I think, started coming on last year and led the, led the D-line in, in tackles. And I think he was, uh, he led the Pac-12 in block kicks. Uh, I think he was number five in the nation with two blocks. And he's got that kind of ability to penetrate. And I think that's got to be the thing that this defense figures out how to do. Because they only got uh, 26 sacks last year, and they have to get to the quarterback. And the ideal thing is if you've got guys who can get there on their own, where they don't need help, they don't need, you know, blitzes, and they don't need double teams and all that to free somebody. And uh, so I think that's what you're gonna you're gonna see more of uh, of Rasheem this year. Let's go to Steve. He says, "Thanks for all the great work." Watching the PRP highlights on the uscfootball.com site, I can't help but be very impressed by Randall Grimes. I know it's very early, but he looks so smooth and almost cat-like out there with long arms and excellent speed and balance. Is it too early to give huge kudos to the USC recruiting team last year for offering and landing this three-star recruit from Las Vegas? Thoughts? And are there any other freshmen out there who are already impressing? Thank you from Steve. Yeah, absolutely about Randall. I mean, he's, uh, again, you want to... You can watch, you know, the video and all that, but you need to see him in person and he really jump, jumps out at you. I mean, he's, uh, you know, and I think more than anything, it's just kind of a collective thing. I mean, here he's six, six, four and you got two safeties, uh, Bubba and Isaiah who are six, three and six, four. And I know Austin Jackson went by us a couple of times today and they've got him listed at six, six six he's all of that uh he just has some really big body kids that uh, uh as a group this freshman class uh i'm really impressed with them i mean they look like uh you know the kind of athletes you have to have uh to win at, at this level and uh they're it's it's hard to you know just say this kid or that kid but uh uh that, you know, Jody Lewis, I think, shows you he's a physical. Everybody's, you know, thinking, well, who's the next guy that's going to step up for Juju? You know, that physical, you know, 210, 215-pound receiver. I think Josh Amato Baby obviously, uh, you know, fits into that category and showed us some things today. Um, uh, Michael Pittman, of course. And, uh, and Jody Lewis, I think, uh, you know, is there. And then, you know, Grimes is kind of an interesting because of his, his, his length and his speed. Uh, he, so, I mean, it, that's the thing when you start looking at, you know, the receiving group, you just, you know, well, this guy, I like this guy or this guy, I like that guy, or this guy. There's a lot of guys to look at. Uh, uh, Tyler Vaughn's and, and Ryan wrote about him and you watch him again today and, He's got more quicks than, than I think I realized and, um, more ability to, to find, you know, that open space, kind of a, a little bit taller, uh, you know, v- version of Deontay Burnett, who just looks sensational this, this summer. He just looks like he's got whatever that it factor is as a receiver. Um, Deontay just has it and, uh, but you start going down the list, and there are a lot of guys uh, to like. Now, what happens when the pads go on and people start really 
uh, impeding your progress and don't want to let you, you know, get to that spot or get down, you know, get past them or whatever. And you may, you know, you find out uh, who can do that. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's easy to like these kids, They're this, uh, this receiving group. All right, Dan, let's see. Let's move on to Mark and Crown City. Frank Martin was active and vocal member of the 2016 recruiting class. However, he doesn't receive much mention in the current PRP updates. Uh, where does he fit in with the current offensive line giants? Thanks for your tireless, tireless efforts and keep to keep the Trojan Nation connected. Fight on, Mark and Crown City. That's good. I have to confess, because we're limited to the far sideline and the Every single day, they start at the other end, and the, def- the defense is on our side. So we get to see the defense. It's We're life or death to see what the offensive linemen are doing. I'll be honest. So we see them, you know, they come in as a group and they go out as a group. But uh, until they until they put the pads on, I just hate to, uh, you know, try to, you know, handicap them or say what they're doing or whatever. You know, for them, it's mostly right now just, you know, getting to, you know, the plays and the steps down and all that kind of stuff. And you don't get to, to really get any kind of a sense other, other than, you know, how big they are, how, you know, easily they move or, or that kind of thing. But, but it's just, you know, you hate to, to not be able to do it, but there's just not that much you can tell anybody about, uh, the D line, you get a little bit more of a sense of, because they get a chance to, you know, make a move here, make a move there, or show. But you don't get that sense with the offensive line because because they really don't get a chance to block anybody. And uh, so, you know, it looks like they know what they're. I mean, I, I will say this: the offensive line looks pretty precise, and it looks like guys know what they're doing, which is why they're doing it the way they're doing it. But uh, to try to pick out somebody and say, okay, he's uh, you know, he's doing this, uh, we, that's just not something we're going to be able to do. Uh, it's just, and they got a lot of guys who are kind of, you know, close, the same sort of guy. And they haven't exactly found where they're all going to be. And I think they're still going to be mixing and matching for a while. So again, you don't want to get, you know, premature in terms of, you know, where they're going to end up or, or how they're going to fit into the rotation, but but he, you know, certainly looks like he belongs with uh, with this group. Uh, let's see. Let's go to yeah. It's it's really hard to see the offensive linemen, so uh, we apologize, but they're just it's it's hard. Um, Ian in San Francisco, thanks for the podcast. Listen to every show. Well, thank you, Ian. I just listened to Dan talk about the sanctions, and I have two questions. One. He said something along the lines of, if this were to happen again, USC would take what it learned from last time and fight back. Although I appreciate the optimism, what would indicate this? Honestly, it'd be the most USC thing, USC thing in the world to do the exact same thing all over again. Uh, they've had no public comment about any of the previous failures, as far as I know, and I have no reason to see it playing out differently if it were to happen again. I hope I'm wrong. And then two, he said, Dan said something along the lines of, compared to other schools in the SEC and Big Ten, I witnessed USC was as clean as it could be. Without naming names, uh, what did you see at those other schools? So two things there. Fight on Ian in San Francisco. 
Well, just little things like, oh, I don't know, the players' parking lot, you know, where they had, like at Ohio State, and and this came out publicly, that, you know, they were doing an audit of the uh, uh, compliance department, and they wanted to see if, for example, things like were they registering all the cars, and turned out there were 44 unregistered cars. Now, USC got just whacked because Reggie Bush's compliance form wasn't completely filled out for that nine-year-old Impala. So they go and somebody, some auditor stands by the guarded players parking lot at Ohio State and jots down the, all the license plate numbers. And they came back with 44 unregistered license plate numbers for the Ohio State parking lot for players. Just stuff like that. I mean, I remember... At Kansas State, for example, uh, I think where we parked was right next to where the players parked. And that was an eye-opener. I mean, there were, there were some of the most extravagant pickup trucks you have ever seen in your life in that parking lot. I mean, there were, it's just, you know, for a while at Kentucky, they obviously had, uh, uh, a, a basketball dorm that, you know, you could have put in, in Malibu and sold it for God knows how many million dollars. I mean, that, that, and then the NCAA said, well, you can't just build a dorm just for, you know, uh, athletes, stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, honest to gosh, and, and this isn't a, you know, at Kentucky, there were times that they had like, uh, after the game, and this is unbelievable, they still let us go into the locker room after the games in basketball. And but the media were the second group in, the first group in, were the boosters. So you go into the the locker room after a basketball game, and guys were still counting the money, and, you know, players, or they were laughing. They said, "That guy only gave me fifty bucks," you know, or whatever. I mean, and that's a long time ago, and that's when things were kind of out of uh, out of control and what have you, but uh, uh, there were things happening in a lot of places. I mean, just uh, for example, Notre Dame. You got the sense that the Notre Dame person on the USC Committee on Infractions case was the number two person at Notre Dame and the chief uh, legal person and what have you, and she was the one that was grilling Todd McNair and Pete over. Reggie Bush's nine-year-old Impala, having not realized that it didn't get fancied up and tricked up and all that till after Reggie left school and after he signed his NFL contract, or that it was that was all done by a magazine who wanted it on the cover. So she was on USC about how you couldn't have known and blah blah blah. And then soon thereafter, Michael Floyd uh, runs off the road at Notre Dame in, I think it was July, might have been August, before his senior year, in a brand-new Cadillac. And to my knowledge, no one at Notre Dame seemed curious in the least about where he got this brand-new Cadillac that he ran off the road. It's just stuff like that. It's just, you know, that that inconsistency and the way they went after USC and the way they 
look the other way, uh, you know, for everybody else. It was just, it was ridiculous. And the fact that, you know, you had people on that committee like Paul D who wanted USC to get worse penalties than Miami got when he was the athletic director overseeing all that, you know, was going on at Miami. And you think, how does this guy get the right to be the chairman of the committee on infractions after what he was the athletic director at Miami for? And, and just those kinds of things. I mean, the, you know, the Cam Newton case at Auburn where everybody knows uh, what the bidding was and where the money went and how it went. And they went into all sorts of contortions and finally came up with the, well, he didn't know about it. Uh, yeah, maybe everybody else did. You know, the schools, the coaches, uh, the bidders, the people who came up with the money, relatives. But we don't think Cam really knew about it. So it was okay. You know, I just, it's just one after another of those that you, the more you know about it, the one you just want to bang your head against the wall and say, what, 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 how is this happening? Um, but that's what about the way the, it is. What about the USC? I mean, there is a famous story about a, a guy who, who still makes commercials and was a great NBA player and, and, and a school drives up to his house. And says in in a brand new car, and the coach gets out. Head coach gets out, and he comes out, and his mom and everybody, and wow, thanks, coach. And, and he says, oh, that's not that's not the half of it. And he opens the trunk, <laughs> and it wasn't the car that was the big deal. It was the money that was in the trunk. <laughs> and it's like you hear these stories, and you'd say, oh my god, and and you, you, you believed almost all of them, to be honest. I mean, you wish Charles Barkley someday would be able to just go ahead and tell his stories about all. And he's told some of them, but uh, the, the stories are are just, you know, they're out there. And, and USC was in a far different place from any of the this stuff that, that that I had been kind of familiar with uh, over the years. And what about USC fighting, like if they would do it different the next time? Oh, That's I a think, good point, Ian. <laughs> I don't think they could not fight it this time. I think I think they listened to all the wrong advice and didn't for, for reasons that, you know, maybe will never come out, and personal reasons that, and, and, and personal, you know, uh, uh, advancement themselves, where they put themselves ahead of the school. And I don't think that would happen again. I don't think people would let it happen again. Uh, because, you know, people said, well, you can't see the NCAA. You can't. Turned out you can. And there were people who knew that you could. Uh, it's harder for a school than it was for Todd McNair. But, uh, uh, I just think that the whole way they did it, you never tell them you're not going to go after him you never say no matter what we're not suing you never say that you know and and make them wonder i mean penn state sued him now penn state you know got legislators in the state of pennsylvania to go after him but they pretty much uh you know threw in their cards i mean ohio state announced at the uh, press conference uh 
when you know the NCA announced uh, the issues involved with Ohio State, which were so few, I mean, of all the things that could have gotten Ohio State on, uh, what they went after was just a small, small part of it. But Ohio State at the press conference said, "Don't come, don't come at us with that USC stuff. We're not, we're not, hand, we're not doing that." And uh, you know, everybody who basically said, "Don't come at us with any of that stuff," you know, benefited from it. And I think even USC would be able to be smart enough next time to say what they did this time really doesn't work and uh you know they i would think they would get better advice this time because there is better advice out there and they just chose not to listen to it last time uh this time they were for example they got the gift that no team no program has ever gotten when judge Saller ruled that there was malice and hatred uh, for Todd McNair and that they used the Todd McNair thing to get at USC. USC was given a gift. Nobody who ever got involved with the NCA ever got a ruling like that, you know, from a court. And it opened up. USC could have gone at that point in time, could have made a run at the NCA and reopened the case and said, look, you know, uh, statute of limitations, uh, starts now because we didn't know any of this. And USC basically at that time could have demanded all the emails and could have demanded all the, you know, records of the, uh, the committee on infractions that USC ruled on the USC case. And they didn't. And that's where I think they could have threatened, uh, to go to court or threatened to go to court of public opinion or threatened to go to the NCA convention and put it on the floor and say, we want access this is you know this involved us and this really did us terrible damage uh both uh public relations and financially and deprived 30 uh potential scholarship kids and uh yes he chose not to do any of those and that was really uh unwise and i don't think they could get away with not doing it the next time i, I don't think whoever would be in charge at usc uh, could turn his back on what's happened since. Uh, it might be hard for the guys that were involved in it. And now if they changed their mind, they would have to admit how badly they were advised and how badly they decided. But if it comes up again, I don't think that excuse wouldn't work. They'd have to get it right the next time. And they've seen enough t- people who've gotten it right. I, I would think USC would would not get it wrong the next time. There better not be a next time, though. Right. I would think. USC, I mean, the one thing, USC was treated so badly and so unfairly, I think it's like getting an inoculation for smallpox or whatever. Uh, You won't get smallpox, you know, again. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I think they're inoculated, I would think, uh, you know, from the NCA at this point. I would think the NCA would not want to, come near USC, especially considering that, you know, the Todd McNair case is set for April trial in LA. I would think USC is pretty, USC is almost as safe as the SEC schools are now that the chairman of the Committee on Infractions is the commissioner of the SEC. Greg, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's convenient. Um, 
We got Paul in Santa Clarita. He says, hello, Dan. This email is long, so bear, please hang in in there with me. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. I'm not in the mood to read like five paragraphs <laughs> of email, but I'll give you a, a summary of it. Um, looking at the Pac-12 conference quarterbacks, he said it's a scary group. So talking about like Sam Darnold, Jake Browning, Luke Falk, Josh Rosen, Justin Herbert, Steven Montez, Keller Chris, like, Troy Williams at Utah, a lot, of, a lot of really talented guys. He said no other conference has this kind of top-to-bottom talent. Uh, it's a gauntlet that, that, that you have to go through of, Pac, of Pac-12 quarterbacks. He wanted to get your thoughts on that. And secondly, do you think the Pac-12, uh, would Larry Scott like say this is the conference of quarterbacks or some tagline like that? And then lastly, Vince Young uh, showed USC in 2006 in the Rose Bowl a hot quarterback can sing, single-handedly carry his team to a victory. Um, of the Pac-12 quarterbacks that USC will face this year, who do you feel has the most potential to pull a Vince Young and lead his team to have upset victory over USC? That's Paul and Santa Carita. Huh, that's a good question. Uh, no Vince Young types, that's for no. sure. Uh, but uh, I'm going. I'd go with Luke Falk at, at Washington State just because of the Friday. Yeah, I mean he's game. not that type at all. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. I if if there's anybody that. I mean, he's going to do it with his arm, and uh, he—he's. Uh, we saw him. Ryan and I were there that day that it rained, and it was what 33 degrees and raining the whole time. And the poor kid, oh, good quarterback, broke his leg against USC. And here comes Luke Falk, the uh, walk-on, and he was good. It yeah. was like, <laughs> where did this? Who is this kid? I mean, and it was like. 49 to nothing or something when he got in the game or whatever it was. It was pretty bad. But, uh, he showed a lot of moxie that day. And ever since then, uh, he's got, uh, he got a lot of, of what it takes. Uh, he's going to do it by throwing the ball. I don't know if there's anybody in this group, Troy Williams maybe, that's going to run, run the ball and, and beat you that way. Uh, yeah, but, uh, it's not really a lot. A lot. Yeah. A lot of guys that, you know, kind of ready for the NFL. I know, uh, the, uh, SEC is finally saying, oh, look at us, look at us. We actually, we really have quarterbacks this year. Really? No kidding. Come on. Give us a shot. But, uh, that's the one thing that, you know, everybody looks at the Pac-12 and says, wow, uh, if only we had, had quarterbacks like that and, you know, in our league. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be fun to, you know, fun to watch, uh, these good Pac-12 quarterbacks, and this is why how important it is for USC to get pressure on the quarterback. They just have to, in this league, you got to figure out ways to get to them. And it wasn't quite so obviously. USC had 26 sacks. Really isn't very good. But because they only they gave up only 12, and I guess only like six of those after Sam became the quarterback, you didn't notice it. Because they weren't, you know, essentially USC wasn't giving up any, uh, you know, won a game. Uh, so, but this year I think, and by the time, you know, they got to the Washington game, Jake Browning played under a ton of pressure. And he didn't look like Jake Browning, uh, in that game. And I think that's the way USC has to, you know, treat these, uh, other quarterbacks. They cannot beat you if they're, you know, lying on the ground. Yeah. Just, it can't be done. And, uh, so, so that would be my, uh, you know, my, my prescription would be not to let them, 
you know, be the quarterback they want to be. I mean, I thought they did this. this a, a perfect example was the Las Vegas Bowl with Derek Carr, who, when you watch him throw the ball, you thought, man, this guy, he looked like a pro. He didn't look like a pro that day, though, because everything had to come out sooner than he wanted it to. USC was really into that game. It was one of those, uh, you know, Clay's first chance to, to coach and they were trying to win it for, you know, for Ed and, you know, they, they just were so ready to play and you realize they had better athletes than Fresno State did and, uh, there was just no way that they could protect Derek Carr and he had to throw everything early and, and quick and, uh, and now you see how good he is. Uh, he was that good then, but he didn't, you know, nobody's that good if you got people in your face and you're running for your life and, uh, I think that's, that's, you know, kind of the way this, this team has to go with against all these quarterbacks they're going to be playing against. We got uh, Paul in Vegas, Dan, and so actually a follow-up. He sent a question in yesterday for Coach Harvey Hyde about potentially dumping the UNLV game for, 2000, I think it's 2018, and uh, signing up for one of the preseason games like you did with Alabama. And referencing that, he was saying, would it be feasible or even easy to buy out one of those games if an offer came in to play a powerhouse team at a neutral site like we did with Alabama last year? What are the mechanics of swapping opponents like that going into a season? Thanks from Paul in Vegas. Yeah, that's definitely been done. Uh, and that would be done, I think, at, the, at this point. And whether you, you do it by, you know, whether you just completely buy them out or you just uh, uh, you know, move the game to another year or something like that. I mean, I think there's talk of creating another, uh, you know, first you know, game, you know, week one game and putting it in Las Vegas and putting it in the new stadium in, in Las Vegas. So uh, maybe USC could work that out where USC would, would play someone like, you know, uh, an Ohio State of Michigan and Alabama or whoever. In, uh, in Las Vegas, but, uh, but I think that ought to be on the agenda of that new, uh, that new stadium in Vegas, because it, it'd be nice not to have all of those games, you know, back east or in the south, you know, and then, and, 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 and I think this year they're in, you know, Dallas, Atlanta, and Houston, but, um, it'd be nice to, to bring one of those out here. Yeah. And, uh, that's the kind of game, if you played, you know, whoever, if you're a Southern California college football fan, you get in your car and you, you know, drive to Vegas or you catch a flight. Uh, I think it would be a, a really, you know, a natural. I guess that new stadium and NFL stadium is going to be, you know, a great stadium. But, uh, but I'd like to, you know, see, see something like along those lines. And maybe, uh, if USC gets involved, uh, maybe they could be a player there in, in, in terms of, you know, arranging you know, uh, the, the kind of opponent, you know, like a Georgia. They, you know, haven't crossed the Mississippi in like a thousand years. <laughs> that would be like a cool game, you know. School hasn't maybe started and, you know, you, you get, you know, the whole whole nation watching you or Florida, uh, somebody like that, or Oklahoma. I just think uh, that would be uh, be a great game and, and I think it, it, it helps prepare you uh, for the, uh, for the playoffs as, as well. So, so, so I think, uh, I think I would be surprised if that doesn't happen in Vegas. I think that's, that's going to happen. 
All right. Uh, we got a few more, man. This uh, is pretty good. Keith in Oakland. I've lived the past few years up in the Bay Area, and it's hard to see that it's. It, I had to see. I'm sorry. He said he had a chance to see regularly the dominance of the Warriors, where they're able to sit their stars in the fourth quarter of games when they're blowing out their opponent, saving them for the postseason. With no bye week this year, how important will it be uh, for USC uh, to not only win games, but do so in a dominant fashion as to where they could rest key starters and reserves and not support that and not subject them to any additional chance of injury in the fourth quarters of games? Thanks and fight on Keith from Oakland. Yeah, Keith, I think that's a thought uh, that they're really, I mean, it's something they're thinking about. That, that how are the different ways that they're going to be able to combat the, you know, 12 straight weeks? And if you had the five preseason weeks, uh, you know, you're, you're basically 17 straight weeks with, without a break. So how do you, how do you do that? I think one of the things, and I don't know exactly why it didn't always happen this way, but last year, uh, I think the first half, points total usc was like 262 or something and opponents were like 120 something but usc was really uh you know uh, a fast starter last year and uh and probably didn't quite have the depth that you know that you would just be able to put people away uh and so weren't always able to to get everybody in i think they're going to start with a deeper rotation and I think they're going to, you know, play more people. But I think, you know, they're going to give whoever the backup quarterback is a chance to actually be a quarterback and not just hand the ball off. Where they, when you come into the game, you get to run, you know, much of the, you know, the game plan. Uh, but, um, but I think that's a really good, good point. Uh, the, you know, the ability to, to rest your guys, uh, in, in the fourth quarter. And to be able to, to get those other guys uh, a lot of reps, I think that's going to be, uh, I think, really important for this team this year. So, and I, I do know they're thinking about it and trying to figure out how exactly, you know, do they get that done? And uh, and I think it'll be crucial uh, for you know to be fresh uh, at the end of the season. And then they do get the, the benefit of that, you know, their buy comes in week thirteen. So uh, when, um, you know, Oregon's playing Oregon State and Washington is playing Washington State and uh, Stanford is playing Cal, or Stanford might be playing UCLA that week. I'm trying to think. One of those, Stanford has a game. Uh, all, you know, Arizona, Arizona State. But, uh, but when you look at whoever they're going to, you know, if USC wins the South, whoever they're going to get coming out of the North will be coming off a rivalry, a big rivalry game. So it could work in the long run that, that you're, you're better off having to buy then, but you, you gotta get there. Uh, so, but they're absolutely thinking about it and, and absolutely trying to figure out what is the best way, you know, to handle that. But the, the Warriors thing is a good point. Yeah. Um, we have, let's see, uh, I forget, so I didn't write down his name. He's from South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I apologize. I don't know if it didn't copy over. It looks like a bunch of dashes where his name were on the email. So there might be like emojis or something that didn't, I don't know. Um, but he said, first off, I'm a huge fan of the podcast and appreciate the dedication you and your team have put together for the podcast. We've got a lot of people like 
thanking us for like our dedication wow. for this week. So that's good. Yeah. Hey, what's, it's our job. You know, this is, this is kind of what we do. But uh, <laughs> after witnessing the improbable victory the Trojans got against Penn State in the Rose Bowl, Sam Darnold has Trojan Nation wondering how far can the team really go this year? I think the three qualities that separate Sam from other quarterbacks around the country is his pocket presence, athleticism, and humility he demonstrates. Uh, what are a few qualities you think separate him from other quarterbacks this year in college football. Thanks and fight on from uh, South Bend, Indiana. I apologize, I don't have the name. Well, I think his ability to uh, see down the field while he's moving, uh, and and when you say pocket presence, I think he has an innate sense of where he is and where everybody else is. And it was, I mean, again, I've said this a number of times, but the one frustration you got from talking to the Penn State coaches after the Rose Bowl, they could not figure out how possibly Sam didn't go down and how they, they didn't get to him. They were athletic. They were tough. They were veterans. They did everything you could possibly do to try to get to him. And they said, we couldn't. There was just no way. The thing I think that makes Sam different is that first guy that that you know comes through and and yes he unfortunately probably had more breakdowns or whiffs than you would like but very often there was a guy coming through clean and where many quarterbacks look at that guy and go "Uh uh-oh sam looked at the guy and would say cool i'll beat this guy and two things would happen well three First of all, he beat the guy. I mean, they just never took him down. Uh, he could go whatever direction you needed him to go. Front, back, side, side, whatever, take off, running. Whatever he had to do, he would do it. So now he's got that guy behind him. So now he's turned upfield. And his receivers have had additional time to go find open space. And now Sam has turned upfield, and he's got really good uh, ability to figure out where that open guy is. And at this point, because he's eliminated the first guy, USC is now playing 11 on 10. And that's the kind of advantage you'll take every day. That, you know, I'd you know, love to be 11 on 10. But you, it's going to be interesting to see how teams decide to play against Sam, because if you decide you know what, there is no point in in trying to get him or trying to blitz or whatever. We're just wasting a guy. Uh, it may They may go the other other direction and try to drop as many people back and, and just try to, you know, have somebody everywhere uh, and make him, you know, throw through, you know, tight windows, which he obviously showed on the, the game time touchdown that, you know, can do that as well. But, but I think that's that, that whole package of, of Sam, uh, and his, his unflappability. I mean, he, I mean, for a red shirt soft, or a freshman starting, what was it? His, uh, his 10th game, uh, to, to lead them on a couple of those late drives. I mean, he didn't show a hint of a nerve, a hint of a, Oh gosh, this is a big deal or how are we going to get this done or whatever. It just couldn't have been more. Ma- I mean, he wasn't any different than he is on the practice field. It was just, you know, 
let's go do it and you know, no big deal. Let's you know, we'll be fine. And uh and I think, you know, for a quarterback you gotta have all those you know, all those the ability to do all of those things. And he he pretty much got it. Uh they they love playing with him. They trust him. He's what he's done and we talk a lot about you know, the uh, chemistry with the receiver and the, and the quarterback and uh, where the receivers have to earn that trust and, and all of that. But but the other way that that goes is they trust Sam so much. I mean, you, you cannot overstate how much his teammates trust Sam. And I think that may be, you know, another place where he's a little different. The The way he's been able to inspire that trust in his teammates is, is pretty special. Uh, we got a couple more topics and then we'll let you go. Uh, Keith wants to, he had two points. One, he's mad that they're not selling, uh, number 14 jerseys in the, in the bookstore. And two, he really hates the, uh, the ball caps, the Nike ball caps. He wants them to go back to new era. Any thoughts on those two topics? Hmm. See, I don't know what that, that contract deal is with Nike. I mean, they may not be able to, uh, I don't know if they have a new era contract. I would guess the more Nike gives them the the, the less wiggle room they're going to have, uh, you know, to to sell anything. But uh, but Nike uh, and I understand a lot of people like like the new era cap. But uh, you know, I think that's that's a, as they say at a pay grade far. Above us, yes. uh, you know that's the lawyers uh, deciding deciding that one. If I were Nike and we're giving UK or UK USC as much money as as they are, I wouldn't want them to be, um, you know, putting their logos on another cap and selling it in the bookstore. I, I just, uh, you know, so I don't know how that all works. So where you know can you know one, you know. Uh, clothing manufacturer who just manufactures one particular item can they get any part of the business uh when you've got somebody like a nike that does the whole you know does everything i don't i don't know what what the legalities are there but i'm guessing that's that that's played into it and tell me the other question right what was uh, oh uh the uh 14 jersey the sam darnold jersey oh and i don't know is it because he's not a senior they only, I have no idea. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why. I, they do I mean, I, I think they sold Barclays jerseys before he was a senior. Uh, huh? I didn't know that. Uh, that's an interesting. Huh? Yeah. Well, we will we'll inquire about that. Yeah. Uh, we'll see what we can find out. That's interesting because I mean I think there's a really good chance he's going to be a captain, um, and. I wonder, you know, what the deal, you know, in terms of, again, what the legalities are on who makes the choice on the jerseys and, um, is there a limitation on the numbers and all of that kind of stuff? Uh, hmm. I'm not kind of a numbers guy. I, I just, I don't pay as much attention to that as a lot of people and I know it really does matter. I just, uh, I just let, let that stuff go and, uh, but, it, it clearly matters, and we'll, we'll try to, you know, pay some attention. And because when you've got, you know, Sam Darnold, I can see why, you know, people yeah. would 
kind of like so Sam, a, yeah. a Sam Darnold. Although it's interesting, uh, do they put the names on the back of the jerseys no. that they sell? No, do I don't they, believe so. I think it's all just numbers. Yeah, but, it, but it's uh, you know I'm trying to think if I ever remember because they're not authentic, not necessarily the same exact jersey, and uh, uh, I, mean, I think that is one of the obviously USC is one of the I guess th- three schools maybe that. Have never put their names on the back of, of 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 their game jerseys and that, and that, which is really really cool, and probably a cool thing for the fans to just have the jersey and not the not the name on the back of it. But uh, I didn't know if they ever did that for USC on the fan jerseys, yeah. whether they ever put names on them or not. I, I wish I paid more attention, but I but I don't. Uh, but. We'll, we'll see what we can find out for you there. Number 14 will be pretty popular, I would yeah. think. If, if I mean, that, that might be the kind where people go out and, and have their, their own, own made up, you know, where you <laughs> yeah. buy a, a USC jersey without a number and then you uh, go to a sporting goods store and get them to put 14 on there. Yeah. Okay, one last topic is about the Coliseum. So we avoided it last week. We're not avoiding it this week. There's a voicemail, okay. and I'm gonna I'll play the voicemail. Then I'm gonna read the question for you as well. We have an email too. So here's the voicemail first. Hello, Ryan and Dan. This is in reference to the Coliseum makeover. If the administration still insists on the same renderings for the monstrosity box seat arrangement, instead, I would suggest just three long rows, which are non-projecting on each side of the Coliseum with angled ends to avoid blocking the view of adjacent viewers. That would seem to be a much better way to go and blend right into the framework beautifully. Keep up the good work. Sincerely, A.G. So so that's A.G., Dan. And then Troy75, uh, he wants to know, what do you think, did the Olympic bid play a role in this proposed configuration, he's saying it's hard for him to believe that the big SC donors would be willing to ruin the game experience for thousands of other fans merely so they could have luxury seats. I'm not buying that story. Uh, but so he, that's what his kind of point is. What do you think on both those topics? Uh, I mean, I like the idea of the rim uh, and all the way around. And it's worked at an awful lot of you know the SEC stadiums. And uh, I think the University of Wisconsin did something similar. And, you know, I, I think but they promised the donors that they would give them as close access to the field as possible because they went and they followed the model of Texas A&M. And Texas A&M has a triple-deck stadium, and they attached the donors' uh, founders' suite uh, below the second deck and right above the first deck, which is only, you know, 30 rows, uh, you know, in, in, in depth. So they were able to put these people really close to the field and that's what they promised the founders. So the founders are getting those first two levels of the power, if you want to call it that, uh, where USC screwed up. And I think it's more incompetence than anything. Uh, where they screwed up was that's all they needed to do. I mean, you're talking about, uh, you know, maybe 220 million of the 270 that they needed would be accomplished in the founders suites. 
they didn't need to go and then, you know, take out the rest of those 9,000, you know, prime seats uh, and, and put in 1,100 club seats and all of that. That's just, it's just people honestly not knowing what they're doing. Uh, and USC probably didn't understand and, and there's some arrogance and some ignorance and a combination of, of a lot of things that, you know, are going to make it no longer look like the Coliseum uh, and are going to displace 9,000 of the most loyal uh, season ticket holders. And then those people are going to displace everybody else in the Coliseum. So really a bad idea. You don't ever take away 9,000 seats, sideline seats, when you've only got about 38,000 uh, from end zone to end zone. But that's what they chose to do. I, I just think it was more of not not really knowing what they were doing. As to the cause, as to the, uh, uh, you know, what the Olympic bid mattered, I, I, I don't know because, uh, first of all, you know, it's probably going to be 2028. That's a long time away. Uh, and whether, you know, they're not going to be the sole like they were than the previous two Olympics because you're going to have that Rams stadium. And I guess they're going to get, you know, they're going to have to split the opening and closing ceremonies. I mean, I think it's almost embarrassing when you look at it now. It looks like, you know, something that a Roman emperor would, you know, construct for himself, uh, you know, the heck with the rest of the people in the, in the Coliseum. I want to have a, you know, a big place to, you know, a reviewing stand or whatever. Um, and that's kind of what it looks like. And that's not, that's not good for anybody. But, uh, but I, I think it was a matter of they just got out over their skis. They promised stuff that they thought would help them raise the money easily, which it did. And then I don't think they totally understood the consequences of doing it this way, and now they're stuck. And I don't think, I think at this point, there's just no one who wants to say, uh, maybe we ought to rethink this, or maybe, we, you know, the last thing you ever hear at a big, you know, bureaucratic, uh, you know, higher educational institution is, man, I screwed up. We shouldn't have done that. Or, Let's do it right now, and we'll admit, you know, we weren't really thinking this thing through. That ain't going to happen, okay? How, you know, they've even been given an extra year because of the Rams uh, having to stay another year, and they could have used that, I would have thought, to to take a pause. But at this point, it's so hard. I, I don't think... It, one of the problems in dealing with this at USC, it's very hard to pin down who exactly made this decision. How did it get made? And people are afraid to kind of say what they really think about it because they don't know whose ox they're going to gore if they, if they come out and say what they really think. So it's, not the, it's not an example of the best decision-making process that you've ever seen, which is a shame because the more you look at USC's campus, they get everything right, and they figure out how to make it all work together, 
and you look at University Village and you think, good Lord, this is as good as it gets. And, you know, there are people that say the whole, because the USC is the anchor at one end, that the Figueroa Corridor is like the best urban development, private urban development in the last 25 years in America. That There's no place that's come farther, faster, and better than than the Figueroa Corridor from downtown to USC. And the reason it is that way is USC. USC is the prime prime mover, and you hate to see them get something as prominent and as public and as important as the Coliseum wrong. But uh, but the whole combination of the historical, you know, you know, people with the LA Conservancy and all of that, it all went together in a way that that just didn't didn't really work. And what they needed to be able to do at this point is to step back and say. Let's rethink this. Let's bring in one or two of the top stadium architecture firms. I mean, that's already where you're in trouble. If you're doing something that important at a place as important as USC and the Coliseum and you don't engage one of the top stadium, you know, there are three or four that are the uh, elite stadium architecture firms in the U.S. and the world. And if you don't engage one of them, at the very least, you could bring one or two of them in to take a look at it and say, what do you think of this? And that hasn't been done either, and that's, I think, a big mistake. Uh, and, and they could afford to take a timeout and say, well, maybe we won't do it this year. We'll, we'll put it off for another year. And uh, that would be, you know, that's all you can hope for at this point, that, that they'll get it exactly right. You can't hope for that. But the hope for would be to put it off, rethink it, and come back with a better plan. But doesn't seem like that's but happening. Most of the good plans are canceled out just because if you take a look at all the great stadiums in America and the way they've uh, uh, been redesigned and the way they've been uh, expanded and all the things that that, uh, none of them really promised their founders, donors, and what have you, the closest possible access to the field. That makes it really hard, and nobody else has done that, and nobody else has needed that. I mean, most people, you know, but but they, they took the one model from Texas A&M that makes it so hard to do anything else, um, and they just didn't realize that building that big, big old monstrosity of a building in the middle of the sands was, you know, was gonna re, people were gonna react like this. I mean, I don't think anybody even asked themselves, well, how do they think those 9,000 people are gonna feel? Who, who are getting booted out of their seats that they've had for 40 years? I dare say that question was never asked in a meeting. And they're gonna now have to answer that question this year and next year. Yeah. And that's not gonna go well. Well, we went one week without talking about the Coliseum, but we yeah, can't expect yeah, to. Yeah, I know. Um, well, I try, I'd rather almost, it was like for a while, I didn't want to talk about the NCA stuff because it made you sad. You just said, ah, this shouldn't have happened. And it, so you tried to avoid it. I mean, you can't avoid it now because of Todd McNair, but the trial coming up and all that. But uh, the Coliseum gets to some of the same way where you just say, 
this makes me sad. This shouldn't have happened. Yeah. <laughs> Should not. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, great job on the site. Uh, we got a lot of stuff coming up on uscfootball.com, so make sure you keep checking it out. Uh, listen to the podcast, of course, but you want to check out what's going on, on the site. We got stuff going on, uh, every hour of every day. It seems like something new is going up. So make sure you check out Dan and Dan. Thanks again for, uh, coming on. We went well, an hour and 20 minutes it. today. So uh, little, okay. Well, little that's fun. good questions. Good questions. And, uh, some new guys on here. That's great. Glad to hear from you. Yeah. We love, we love hearing from all you. Thanks so much, uh, for sending those in. Thanks again to Dan Weber. And I'm actually taking off to see my sister on Wednesday, so I'll be back over the weekend. So no more podcasts this week, most likely. But uh, if you want to send your questions again next week, we'll be back and uh, back doing regular shows. And we'll be back with a new website next week. So uh, crossing your fingers should be cool. Uh, so uscfootball.com will be on a whole new platform uh, by Monday. So hope you guys enjoyed this edition of the Peristyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 